Open your eyes. Wake up, Link. I'm Luke Summerhays. I'm James J. Miles. I'm James the Jaster Stewart. And you're listening to Hyrule Field Report. I guess the first question, do you guys remember the build-up to Breath of the Wild? Um, Sort of. I mean, when the build-up, I suppose, started in a lot of ways, um, I wasn't really playing a lot of games in general, certainly not Nintendo at the time. I kind of fell away during the Wii U era and only really came back as the Switch hype was building up. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be fair, the bulk of the Breath of the Wild build came as the Switch hype was building up, as they kind of pivoted from realising um, that probably for sales, <laughs> from a sales respect, better make this come out on Switch as well. Um, so I don't feel I missed probably too much of it, but you guys are probably better informed, or maybe you remember more than me about the early, the yeah, early build. You remember something? That's joking now. <laughs> well, I was I was a big Wii U player. Mm. Um, like I'd been a basically Nintendo only guy until a couple of years into the Wii U when I I had to buy a PS3 just because there was nothing coming out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, for such a long time, all we had for Breath of the Wild was like. Like one piece of artwork, or just, or even not even that, just like there is a Zelda coming, mm-hmm. and then we'd have like a trailer which was literally just like Link riding his horse, and like on a TV that was out of focus behind Miyamoto. Yeah, I remember that stuff like that. Like they were really coy about showing this game, and then. Eventually, they did like give us some big reveal, and we had that E three where it was the only game they showed. That is such a ballsy move, and do you know, mm-hmm. like maybe these days, I mean, E three, well, RIP E three, but um, the, it's maybe more likely to have happened to happen now. I know Sony did a conference once where like they had like what three games, but they had three games, and the the crowd had to move to like three different <laughs> was, tents the... to see. <laughs> It was, <laughs> that was terrible, man. The organisation yeah, that, was... that must have took, man. Like, right, everybody move over to this next location. Looks like well, a I remember game. watching it online and we just had like 20 minute musical interludes yeah. while the people on the <laughs> Shuffled floor along. <laughs> Whereas, um, you know, Nintendo put all their eggs in the, the Breath of the Wild basket and I, I just remember being so excited seeing like the footage that was coming out, the coverage, just that early Great Plateau content. Um, and just realizing Zelda has gone to the next level. Um, is that where they showed like that final like hype, hype trailer, like the, the, like the no. final trailer for the game? Because that's the uh, one thing. No, there was. They did that big event. Um, it was a Switch launch like event. January, I think it. it was January of the year the Switch came that's out. Right. right, they showed off like it's the first time we saw Odyssey. Um, they showed off like for the first time we properly saw it. Yeah. Anyway, because there was a little the, snippet. Yeah. There was that like three minute trailer yeah, for the Switch. That's right. Um, in, in like November, and then the, the bro- but after that point, Breath of the Wild hype and hype for the Switch itself get conflated in my head. I think that trailer, that that Breath of the Wild, Wild trailer, 
um, is genuinely might be one of the best trailers of all time. Um, I, 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 that I went back and rewatched the music it. in that trailer oh. is still in my head to this day. You don't even hear it that much in the game. It basically is the trailer music. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. They put it in Smash, didn't they? Uh, that little bit. Yeah, and it is in the game a bit. Like, there's that bit where the music like stops and then starts again. Mm-hmm. It's the whole trailer is just iconic. Yeah. Um, I, and uh, that just sent my eyeball load to to a whole new dimension. To I think to this day. The Switch is the only console I've ever got launch day. Went down to a game store, picked up the machine, copy of Breath of the Wild, and just played it for hours and hours <laughs> and hours and just lost myself in that world. Um, I bought like most Nintendo consoles day one, but the hype for Switch it doesn't compare to anything else. Mm. I th- I think maybe partly because the Wii U had disappointed, and like somehow Switch. I mean, I don't think anyone quite predicted how well it was going to do. It did feel like it was going to be different. Yeah. Like I I still kind of think the the Switch is what the Wii U was meant to be. Very much a prototype, right? <laughs> Well, then the question after that is, did Breath of the Wild live up to that hype? Yes. Um, <laughs> Short answer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, end of podcast. Um, uh, yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, I think, yes, if, if you go digging hard enough, there will be some dissenting voices against the direction that Breath of the Wild took Zelda. For me, it was a much needed and much appreciated evolution of the formula and what they did with open worlds uh, and what they did with how they made you know the game just such a joy to traverse um the fact that you feel that you first time you feel like you know i always think of like uh todd howard you know going that mountain yeah, you can go there, <laughs> stuff like that. But um, and and you know, Skyrim. Yes, you can if you, you know, sugar a horse up a mountainside for an hour. But in Zelda, that 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 dream is realised. I just love that moment um, though. Like they obviously it gives you like the the plateau for like the opening kind of almost a tutorial mm-hmm. like area, and then you get all your runes, and then it just opens up even more, and you're like, oh my god, I can go over there, and there's nothing to stop me. It's, so um, they did a they did a presentation, um, and I can't remember when it was. I don't know if it was at E three or, or or what have you that that big E three people were on about. But they spoke about how Breath of the Wild drew most of its inspiration from the original Zelda, yeah. and that they gave you the tools. They said, "Go off and have an adventure," and I think even more so than than the original legend of zelda because you still needed to pick up some items you know your bombs and such raft whatever to traverse literally you can go anywhere from the start of the game in breath of the wild that it's just such an open-ended 
adventure and I'd be very surprised if anyone's you know first time playing for the game was identical to anybody's anybody else's first playthrough just because of how much freedom they afford the player um I, I just think it's genius yeah, that's why they, like, <laughs> they really that's why, like they added that little feature like later later and like later updates like the tracks like your movement you can watch your entire adventure through like the Sheikah slides mm. like on the like world map like you said, like you've guaranteed everyone's going to like zigzag about everywhere, like and everybody's going to be yep. like different because obviously that's just the nature of the game. I got to relive the fact that my first two deaths were falling off the tower at the start because I was looking at the fuse. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just remember the early conversations, um, and if if you've stumbled upon this podcast. Um, for the for the first time, never heard of us before. Um, we all met through a an online forum, and I just remember the early discussions about the game on the forum, just sharing our stories and going, you know, oh, I went I went up this way first, or I, I went this direction, and you know, you wouldn't get that from another Zelda. Like, let's just let's compare, let's say. Skyward Sword. I like Skyward Sword. It was a fun time when I played for the Switch version for the first time when they re-released it. But conversations and and you know your discussions going to be about it is um, have you got to this bit yet? You know, there's, yeah, it'd be more you know, like more like discussing a film, right? We can just yeah. talk about this scene and that scene. And again, yeah, I do love Skyward Sword. I've literally got a tattoo of the Loftwing on my back. So, <laughs> but yeah, the. To me, Zelda was always about this feeling of going on an adventure or, like, exploring. Mm. Even as far back as, you know, Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time. But only Breath of the Wild and the first one, like, genuinely capture what it is to explore, like, unknown territory. Mm -hmm. The bit that I really remember is, again, the early days, and we're talking about it on a forum, and, like, making, like, expeditions into Hyrule Castle. Yes, that was um, that was one of my. I, I went there probably a lot. Er, obviously, you can go there from the very beginning, and I think I must have got like a maybe a quest to go find a book in the castle mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and I just you know looking around about how can I get into the castle? Like what can I do? And I remember I think I'd done the Zora region first because that tends to be most commonly people's first zone and you've got the uh, the armor you can wear where you can swim up waterfalls and i remember mm-hmm. that's how i kind of infiltrated the castle um for for the first time and i was able to kind of sneak about the halls and stealth attacks the the moblins and get some really really strong weapon upgrades and complete that side quest and just you know, but, but but another player wouldn't have done that. Another mm-hmm. player might have just moved on to the next. You know, yeah, I don't think beast the first time I gone roaming. The first time I went like near the castle was like I was rooting more like towards the moat side and like underneath it and finding all these like treasure chests and stuff like that. I'm like like desperate for like new weapons. That's sort of, like why I went there. I got underneath and I didn't like actually fully get in to the castle. Like just the outer outside regions, like and underneath the moat and stuff like that. Like that was always like fun like exploring like a dangerous place in a Zelda game for the first time mm, mm. 
Whereas for me, it was putting on the ninja outfit and just walking through the front door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember my heart absolutely racing as, you know, the, the beams appearing from the Guardians Ooh. and Light seeing like the, the malice everywhere. And there's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, Excellent stuff. towards the end of the game when I was, you know, ready to go take on Ganon and save Zelda, I think I went through the the the, the main gate and mm-hmm. kind of you know took on the tough enemies on my way up to the the throne room and felt like a proper final siege of sorts i powered mm. up i'm coming in riding on a horse to to save the day as opposed to that first visit where you know snuck in through the back door and very timid and yeah that's just I mean, I think one thing that's always impressive to watch, and I do recommend if you've never seen one to go check it out, um, are speedruns of Breath of the Wild. And just because the fact, because you can literally go and face the final boss from the, you know, once you get off the Great Plateau, um, and just seeing how people do it and, you know, how they, what weapons they get. And oh, it's. Again, just a testament mm-hmm. to the design of the of that game. Yeah, it feels like you see like a, a trick from Breath of the Wild like every day, like online, like on Twitter or some like somewhere mm-hmm. else. Like there's always like people discovering like new things, like with the stasis and like how to propel yourself like forward, like launching yourself off the like that early plateau church and like launching yourself like right towards the Hyrule Castle. Yeah, there's kind of two genres because there's sometimes I see a video where they're using the things that are in the game mm-hmm. really cleverly, and it's like this game has got such an interesting collection of different systems and different physics that people can twist them and use them in all these interesting ways, and I love seeing that. But then there's also like just so many glitches where it's you know get off a horse backwards, duck and jump, and then suddenly you can jump on the air and climb up into the sky. And it's like, there's like, there's the game that we all played back in 2017. Then there's another game below that, which is using all these systems in these weird ways. Mm. And now there's like a whole third game beneath that that's just like breaking the game open. <laughs> I think the... but I think it's worth pointing out, we've talked about, like you're saying, yeah, What one of the great things about this game is you can go anywhere and do anything. But that's... That alone does not a good game make. Like people often, um, in the, maybe people know me don't know me either. I do a Pokemon podcast, Luke Loves Pokemon, and I'm pretty in the Pokemon community, listening to other Pokemon podcasts. And you always hear fans saying, like right up until we finally got one, oh, I want an open world Pokemon game. I want an open world Pokemon game. And then people respond like, yeah, but being open world won't automatically make the game different. Yeah. Um, and as what it ha- what ended up happening when we got an open world Pokemon game in Scarlet and Violet is that the the leveling of the gyms and the bosses and everything was still like set linear levels. So basically, you could either play it in the correct order, or you're just sometimes gonna just walk over stuff. Mm. Whereas I think what Breath of the Wild does great is not only is it open in the structure of the overall game. But it's very open in how you deal with each individual challenge. And the player can come up with 15 different solutions to every problem and 13 of them will work. And I think that's the openness that is really impressive. 
is the small scale openness as well as just the large scale you know your game structure can be open totally i think the like obviously speaking about the overall world design you can go anywhere but like like you said because the game gives you those four core tools at the beginning you know the bomb stasis ice and uh the other one <laughs> what's it the other one magnesis that there we thing. go <laughs> yes um because it gives you those four core powers right at the beginning like you've then got the opportunity to explore and experiment with those throughout your entire journey um and like like if it was just a big open world but it was normal zelda gameplay it might not have worked whereas because these tools allow you to experiment in so many different manners um yeah it just makes that joy to play Hmm. the example everyone always brings up but it is a good one is right at the start on the plateau there's that one shrine that's up on the cold mountain Mm -hmm. and everyone you speak to got up there a different way but it felt like that was just the way you do it yes like, I remember I'd f- I happened to find some spicy berries near there, and I was like, oh, well, I guess I meant to cook some hot food. And I cooked a hot meal and made it up there. And then I speak to other people, and they did entirely different things. I think I got the sweater from the the old man and uh, just had a, a cosy stroll. <laughs> I think some people just carried a torch. Yeah. I mean, that's just because of how all these different you know functions and systems work together it 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 means that experimentation is really rewarded there's not a right way to do like one set right way to do all these challenges there might be wrong ways there might be ways that just aren't going to work but because there's a maybe a dozen or so right ways to actually also like an element of that as well like in the games like the kind of puzzles like it's like the puzzle elements yes. are like they're so open ended. Like, like I always like any time like I figured something out, I was like, that wasn't that may have not have been right, but it worked. Remember, there was an early clip I saw of um, one of the puzzles in the Divine Beasts, where you had to connect two electric wires mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and I think there was a set way to do it involving rotating the Divine Beast around or something like that. But the person in the clip I saw just dropped lots of swords to conduct the electricity yeah, along and created their I own done. wire. Yeah, that's basically what I've done. Which is, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so cool. I, like, I wouldn't have thought of that, but the fact that that's possible is just, uh, just brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's really... It's not the... For like most puzzles, I feel like they probably did have one solution <laughs> that they in their head was the correct solution. Yeah. yeah. That's why I was mentioning like I felt like I'd done it like wrong, like even though I completed it, like mm. it is just an open ended way of doing it, like or like you circumvented yeah. like maybe like you've got to get up to a certain ledge in like I remember like a shrine puzzle, like it was about trying to get like traverse up like a wall with chains in boxes, I think. Like metal boxes, mm. and 
I'm pretty sure like the way I done that is like I propelled myself up on a way up probably. Like I just out of my own thinking I used the, the stasis to propel propel myself up on one of the boxes to get up high enough. And like and after it I was like You like launched yeah. yourself. I was like, that's not the way you do that, but it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> because the game was built from rules yeah. was like the main thing it was built on, like physics and systems. If those systems let you solve the puzzle, the developers just like, okay, you can do it that way. And I think that's such a big departure from how, especially Zelda games, had been made mm. prior to that. There was one shrine puzzle. Um, I remember it was one of the, one of like the motion control ones where you had to like steer steer a ball through a maze, and mm. I think this one's pretty. It's a pretty popular solution. But rather than steering the ball through the maze, you could turn the maze upside down, and there would be it would just be a flat bottom. And you could then kind of roll the ball to the to the path it's meant to come out at. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but then you, you've got to wonder, surely someone must have saw that when they were making the game and, you know, they allowed you then to fully rotate the puzzle and kind of rub one yeah, outside the Yeah, I guess some of the designers have probably had fun with that, right? Knowing that the game's kind of open-ended, yeah. like, like mechanics and physics and stuff like that. Like, they're going to, like, kind of put sneak some things in like to see if the player figures it out developers always do that with their games well, some stuff has started to come out like this is probably around the time we started to hear more from like inside nintendo still to this day we don't really hear that much about what goes on in there but they started to do a bit more in the way of interviews and we saw more of the young guys like the the people behind like splatoon and everything mm-hmm. And they were showing this this game's development was very, like, open, open in terms of, like, the structure. that Like, anyone could present ideas. And they showed, they had, like, this big board and people would just, um, like, write their ideas down, little post-it notes and apply it to a big map. Or they had, like, a, inside the, the, like, map in the game, developers could leave little notes like, oh, what if we had this here and what if we had that there? And I think because the creation of the game was so open and so collaborative, it just, the whole philosophy of making that game became anyone can come in and do anything. And that applied to how they made it, but then also what the game ended up being and how we could play it. And it's such a different vibe than what we usually hear from like super controlling, very specific Nintendo. Mm. And it's such a different vibe to most game development that we hear about from anyone. And it really comes through in making a game which... People will argue that Breath of the Wild doesn't necessarily do anything that new. But I think it's just the way it does Mm -hmm. everything. It's just a step above anyone else. And it's... The thing I think it brings to open world games that's new... Is that every single inch of the world feels like it was made by a game developer to be a fun game yes it never feels like well this is just you know they're trying to replicate a real mountain or this is just you know procedurally generated scenery so that it takes me longer to get to the objective so like every single inch i want to do it and i'm like oh what's around this corner what's up this mountain and it changed what i want from games i also think breath of the wild changed me like, before Breath of the Wild, I basically was... I stayed indoors and played video games, and that was who I was. 
And then, like, shortly after Breath of the Wild, I moved to Japan. And I started approaching the real world how I approached Hyrule. And it's like, I go to a new city and it's like, right, well, first I'm going to, like, climb up high, get a look around the scenery. And I'm going to pick a place and be like, I want to go over there. And I'll go over there and on the way there, I'll stop and I'll see this and that. And it just, yeah, I feel like this game, in a weird way, made me a better person. And I'm going to get a house here and do my own electricity and, like, <laughs> get electricity, like, set it up with metal swords all about the place so it conducts the right way. I do plan to build a little house in the mountains for when the world inevitably ends in the next ten years or so. so. <laughs> and I will need a collection of swords for sure. But will those swords shatter? Oh. Um, here's my take. The weapon durability system is good. It's basically ammo in a shooter. Yep. Uh, it makes you use other weapons. And I have zero time for the whole discourse. Agreed. I, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I am with you. Yeah. Um, there's definitely... So, like, the, the game definitely has its detractors, I think, because of how much of a departure it was in a lot of ways from quote-unquote traditional Zelda, right? Um, with that being probably the most common complaint about the game, but it didn't bother me one iota. Like, it made me try different weapons. And part of it as well is like what we said at the beginning about obviously like Breath of the Wild was based, like they basically took NES Legend of Zelda and they branched off of that, of it being a proper adventure. Like, I don't think you can do, like, a proper adventure game without weapons having durability. Mm. Yeah, it, make, it makes you want to seek out rewards, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... If you found the the diamond-encrusted sword of legend... Um, or, or, or okay, let's actually use a real reference the master sword. <laughs> no, I want the diamond encrusted sword of legend. I'm, I'm going to make that now in, in Tears of the Kingdom. That'll be a thing. Um, so, if you found the master sword, you know you wouldn't use anything else for the rest of the game. Um, you wouldn't then be bothered really to go and clear out all these forts or yeah. go, you know, diving in moats or in the deep sea looking for treasure it makes, like, or, it, or what have you. But... It makes the Master Sword even more important. Because when you do get it and then you do eventually power it up, it's like no other weapon. Like it's a special weapon. Like like it is in the story. It's actually a special weapon to be used in the game at the right time. Yeah. But then again, it's not one that you can then just totally depend on mm -hmm. because it will also depower meaning you want to use some of your other arsenal and those will break eventually so you want to go seek out and it just the, the the weapon durability system needs to be there to feed into the overall sort of gameplay loop you know the overall experience and the the, the joy of getting rewards and you know clearing out forts and camps mm -hmm. and finding finding goodies One of the only arguments I've seen against the game, which maybe I do have time for, is that eventually you realise the rewards you can get for exploring doing side quests are kind of minimal. Yeah. But 
by the I time really I noticed that, I... I'd had a hundred hours of enjoying myself exploring. <laughs> so, you know, the journey was the thing. Yeah, I can't say I ever really noticed that because, and I, I don't know, I was just spending resources on upgrading armor and. Um, yeah, but you know. every now and then you would do like a big complicated side quest, and it would be like here's ten apples or something. <laughs> <laughs> And mm, tasty apples they were. I'll, re- I'll treasure them. Yeah. But then again, I suppose that's that kind of t- says a lot about how you enjoy games. Are you doing it just for the reward? Mm. Or do you also take pleasure in the the journey and the actual... Well, and the couple of people I know who genuinely like, don't like or were very disappointed by this game are also people who I know are... Um, you know, they're very motivated by just ticking off games. Mm. By completing games, completing the list, finishing a checklist. Um, you know, some people who you may have heard on sister podcasts of this podcast and will probably not hear on this one. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> but yeah, people who are willing to just just enjoy themselves or who are more inclined to make their own fun a little bit. Mm-hmm. This game goes down a treat. Mm-hmm. I think the only complaint I could take a little bit of stock in, um, and fortunately early signs seem to point towards this being rectified, is that I would have maybe liked some some more substantial dungeon environments. Um, the Divine Beasts were nice, but you want a bit more, right? Um, I was actually happy and... with the, the volume of Dungeon. The only thing I'd have liked was just in the Four Divine Beasts and in the Shrines, just a little more aesthetic variety. I get, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's definitely like, fair. If, if Shrines, like, in the Zora area were, like, a little bit water-themed and then Shrines in the Gerudo area were Gerudo-themed, something like that, would have made yeah, that, feel that a bit makes more sense it. as well. And mm-hmm. I think so, considering like the way some of the you unlock the shrines and some of them are like buried underneath the ground, like under like snow mountains and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it makes sense that the shrine would then be based around the same theme of the area. Mm-hmm. You can well, really. I um, oh, go on. I was going to say one thing that I I think. Breath of the Wild will will always have an impact on is how it's changed some of the biggest games that we've had since Breath of the Wild. Like the, other other developers have drawn so much inspiration from from how Nintendo kind of put together that world and you know drew elements from it. I mean, I think pro- probably one of the biggest games to come out since Breath of the Wild, um, Elden Ring, um probably drew a lot from Breath of the Wild in terms of how it designed the world. Um, I don't think that's unfair to say. For me, Elden Ring is the only game I've played since Breath of the Wild that did capture that feeling of yeah. that just being in this world and going on this adventure is a reward in itself. Yeah. And that this world is so large and open and yet it all feels... Good. Yeah, sort of, because they're based on the same kind of sort of like design principle of like you plot your own course from the start. Mm-hmm. 
like open up well obviously both actually are like both kind of you have the open tutorial like area and then once you get out you're basically free to go anywhere you like yeah a lot of games have tried to imply that they've taken breath of the wild like um i've mentioned before the zelda games right the trailers for for sword and shield and then for legends arceus and then mm. for scarlet violet they all tried to trade on like some Breath of the Wild imagery, with like you know, mm. here's a subtle piano cue and some yeah, shots yeah, of yeah. the grass. With, like, yeah. right, they were character really running up the hill it. to like, look at the vista ahead. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> they love giving you that Im- imagery, and then the game not actually being that much <laughs> like Breath of the Wild. Like I said, even when end. we finally get the open world one, it's still it is designed for you to play it in quite a linear way. There was also that um, that Ubisoft game, what Phoenix is that what it's called? Oh, something um, like that. Yeah. Um, which I watched a mate play that, and whilst you know, it looked like it looked fun exploring the world, like you had some cool powers to actually traverse. The actual activities you did were still Ubisoft checkbook checkbox exercises. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, they drew inspiration, but. You still have to have a bit of magic to to put your own stamp on it. Well, we're talking about how Breath of the Wild came from, you know, the way they made the game was this culture of everyone sharing ideas and this very collaborative effort. I don't think there's that kind of culture inside Ubisoft. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> And then I guess the final question is uh, how are we feeling for Tears of the Kingdom? I think I look, so if I think you I ask look, me this... I terrible. I don't know why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It looks, it looks incredible. Like, I'm sold. Like, I was always, always sold like a sequel to Breath of the Wild in this kind of same world and obviously trust Nintendo fully to kind of be able to adapt that and like add even more like spectacular things to to that world. Really looking forward. Well, to for it. a long time, it felt like their whole marketing plan was just telling us, um, "Yeah, it's a sequel to Breath of the Wild. You don't need to know anything else." <laughs> and I was happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I I was as well, but I wouldn't say I was excited. Like not to, certainly not to the same degree as Breath of the Wild, and t- to be fair, it would take a lot to get to that point again. Um, but up until um, we got that kind of first extended gameplay reveal, like maybe a couple of months ago, um, and then we got a uh, like the kind of big launch trailer um, a couple of weeks back. Um, up until that point, I was, you know, just thinking, well, I'm good. I know this is going to be bloody fantastic, but I'm not going to be excited about it until I get it in my hands. Whereas now, they really, it's like they captured a little bit of the essence of that Breath of the Wild um, pre-launch hype. And that launch trailer, um, I know you've been steering clear of it, uh, look, but I definitely recommend when the game comes out, just go back and check, go back and watch it. It's... It's just like the launch trailer for um, that 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 switch hype event we were mm-hmm. on about um, mm-hmm. for, for Breath of the Wild. Like e- even to the 
even with the music. Yeah, and... yeah the trailer definitely has like the same beats as like the yeah the, that final Breath of the Wild trailer, like the final Tears of the Kingdom trailer, if you want to call it that. That definitely does have the same beats. I just remember seeing the trailer and <laughs> and thinking, I'm excited. Like mm-hmm. I, I was so pumped after that. I'd gone from just you know assured that I was going to be playing a good game to excited that I'm going to be playing a good game. Um, not just a good game, a very special game again, I think. Well, I've enjoyed, because I have mostly been avoiding trailers, uh, I watched the trailer whenever the last Direct was. I watched it during the Direct and I haven't rewatched it since. And then like they announced Alnuma was going to do a little gameplay demo, I didn't watch that, and we had a trailer... We had like another trailer a week after that, right? And people were even more excited. That's yeah, the one I was yeah, on that's about. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I've just been seeing like buzz around it. Just people saying like, oh my God, yes, I wasn't sold, but now I am. I was like, okay, wow. Because I was already hype. And this is really <laughs> yeah, shaking people up. Takes so. it up a few more notches. Like, like I said before, I was already happy for it and excited generally. And then that final trailer hits and it's just like, yep, confirms it. Like, but it takes the excitement up just a few more notches. Of where it already mm-hmm. was. Like I want to be, I want to be careful about what I'm saying because I, I know you're trying to go into the game as unspoiled as possible, Luke. But what we were talking about in terms of how one of the best things about Breath of the Wild is the freedom it affords the player. It's like they've taken that idea and just turned it up to eleven. Like I, my mind is boggling <laughs> at the amount of possibilities um that this game's gonna offer you and i just can't wait to hear what i'm almost excited about is seeing what other people do because i know mm-hmm. even more so than breath of the wild there's no way what that people are going to have the same um crystal magic sword of legend same solutions <laughs> there's no diamond encrusted sword <laughs> of legend yeah. <laughs> but i there was a, a thread on twitter i saw um of a guy who was clearly doing a review copy and he's he was sharing a few small clips no it was a gameplay demo um the event that nintendo had given permission to record that was it and he shared a few small clips of just uh just a probably a standard enemy fort right like you know the equivalent you would get in breath of the wild and he he said he did it half a dozen times each way was different and he still had ideas of about a dozen more ways he could tackle this one fort and I bet you there was probably another five, four or five dozen ways that he hadn't thought about that another player would. And, oh, <laughs> I think they're going to do it again, lads. They're going to absolutely smash it again. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. I can't wait. So, for listeners listening to this podcast, the game is like less than a week away. And chances are you're listening to this, it's out already. So the plan going forward would be probably Sundays, just a little episode about a different area each week. Probably we'll start with a first impressions, kind of a vague one. And then if this had been Breath of the Wild, it would be like, here's one or two episodes on the Great Plateau. Then here's an episode on Kakariko. Here's an episode on Zora's Domain. We'd go through it like that. Uh, we haven't played Tears of the Kingdom yet, so we can't tell you exactly what the structure is going to be. But that should give you an idea of sort of how we would, how we'd approach it. 
and then we can talk about you know what we discover there the gameplay any sort of little lore nuggets we dig up and hopefully share fun stories about different ways we approach different things mm. and we'd like to hopefully get some guests involved we'll do some bonus episodes about this and that to mix it up and, it'd be uh, very cool as well if um, but i think one, one thing that'd be very cool as well is um for people maybe to send in um just little ways or stories about how they tackled a particular obstacle like talking about for example this fort maybe it's going to be a fort or an area that we cover and you know just little stories like that i think getting some listener interaction would be really cool so i'm sure there'll be uh socials and stuff um ready to ready to go for when when the main cast launches yeah obviously once we're up and running we'll have the twitter and everything active and We'd love to hear from people like one of the reasons I think this podcast is going to be fun is because like we said with Breath of the Wild there was playing the game and then there was the meta game of just like talking about it and hearing how other people enjoyed it Mm. and hopefully this podcast will just be a way for everyone to have that regardless of whether you've got you know a bunch of people in your life playing it or you've got an internet community getting stuck into it you know we can all relive it through this. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do hop on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict or Spotify, whatever you're using to listen to us right now. Give us that five-star rating and a review and all of that to help other listeners find us. We're on Twitter at Hyrule Field Pod. You can also find us on Facebook and uh, make sure you search on your podcasting app of choice or YouTube or wherever you're at, Hyrule Field Report. And please, if you want to hear more podcasts made by us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash podcastiopodcastius where you'll find links to all the other podcasts we make. And then if you're feeling generous, you can give us a dollar a month to hear things as soon as we're done editing. But uh, no- nothing we make is like properly hidden behind a payroll. That's just the place to go to find links to everything that we do make. And uh, until then, bye. Cheerio. <laughs> Catch us next time.